our relationship with languages when we are on the move. I think it's so important for the two of us because we relate a lot. It's, it's very present in our work. It was also the, the beginning or the common point of our friendship. It's what brought us together. I cannot think about languages without thinking about movement, whether I physically move or not. Translation for me is always movement. German TV presenter with Santiago. Sorry, it's my, my cat keeps jumping on the table. <laughs> I'm Jana Morashtigit. And I'm Laura Empana. And this is Not Loud Enough, a podcast where we, two very good friends, talk about feminism, migration and culture in our daily lives. So today we, we're going to focus on languages and the way we experience our languages, the personal mm -hmm. experience. We will not dive deeply into connection with politics yeah. and connection between languages, mm -hmm. politics and how it affects uh, discourses, political discourses. And there's another subject that I really, I'm really personally interested in, but I know that you are too, Laura. It's sexism and misogyny in languages. Yeah. This is also something we're not going to go deeply into now. Yes. Uh, we will leave that, I think, for future episodes, because this is also a very important topic. But today we focus on our own experiences and how languages made us who we are, but also how we play with, with these different languages. There is something I always really like to do when I work with people, when I do workshops, when I, uh, around languages and translation, I usually ask people what languages are in your life. I rarely ask which languages do you speak or read or, mm -hmm. because then it opens up more doors to people because you may have lots of languages in your life and you may not master them all. And that's okay. It doesn't mean they're not part of your life. When I was in school, in primary school, in secondary school, I would always, always try to explain Turkish terms, Turkish expressions, things about mm -hmm. Turkey to my classmates. Whenever we had the choice to do a presentation in class, I would always choose a subject that is related to Turkish or to Turkey or the Turkish culture. So there's always this need to say, look, this is part of me. I want you all to know about this as well. And then the curiosity is also the other way around. You also want to learn about the others. And I'm very lucky that I've been to schools where there were lots of kids from different cultures. And, you know, my best friends were Moroccan, Bosniak, South African, <laughs> from Benin, from Senegal. So I had friends from all these different places. They were my closest friends in primary school, in, in secondary school. And even now, you know, when you look around, it's all people with different cultures. So you, there's always this need to share. Everything links to my need, my constant need to translate. I like very much what you said at the beginning, that uh, you ask people about not what languages are, uh, are they speaking, but about what languages are in their lives. And uh, it stuck with me, this, this term that you said, mastering a language, because the, the, the topic of today is, is, is very much related to that and how do we relate to master a language and are we forced to master a language or 
can we be more relaxed about languages in, in general? And I'm going to explain what I mean. First of all, I was exposed to different cultures and first of all, different languages at a very early age. And now as an adult, I realize how important that was and how that shaped actually my life. When I was uh, 11 years old, in, uh, living in Romania, Romania just uh, got out after a period of 50 years of communism in 1992. The revolution was in 1989, but the story, my story happens in 1992, where I participated to a school exchange in France. I was very lucky, together with 20 colleagues of mine, I think, we made this trip to, to France, crossing Europe in a bus for a month and stopping in each country and, and spending some time in France. And it was the very first time I was exposed. I didn't speak any other language than Romanian. And it was the first, very first time when I uh, met other people speaking other languages and trying to understand ourselves this way, through signs mostly. And you know how it go goes when you, when you don't speak uh, the same language. language. But the, the most important thing is that I completely got in love with French. And when I got home after this trip... I told my parents that what I want to do is to learn French. It was also the year at school when we, we started to learn two different foreign languages. And so, of course, I chose French and, and English. And then this is what I've done actually for a third part of my life to the point where I um, studied French and English to a university uh, degree. And officially, academically, I'm a translator. Uh, languages have been part of me of my life and also of my work all the time because I was working in international companies and I was using these languages that I learned and by default also translations, you know, all the time. And at the very beginning, uh, I was also doing simultaneous translations and so on. But it was a very interesting aspect, the moment when I moved to Austria 10 years ago and I had to learn German. And that was a completely different relationship. Thinking that I was used to learn languages, uh, I thought it will be quite easy to learn German. It turned out that I had a bit of a difficulty with that. But also because I realized years later, because of a great deal of a pressure from the society, you have to learn that language and you have to learn it perfectly you know you have to speak it very good that's why I said earlier you know about this mastering a language mm -hmm. and um, for the period when I lived in the Netherlands every time I get I came back to Austria I realized that I was speaking German so relaxed it was just going very very well it's also related to particular groups of migrants, so to say, because you don't feel the same pressure, for example, if you are a migrant from Western countries, you know, there are not the same requirements, it's not the same pressure. And uh, you said it in the in our first episode, Janan, that uh, sometimes when you're part of a particular group of migrants, sometimes you need to work twice harder in order to make it. And I think language is also part of it and this was this was my in a nutshell so to say my my uh, relationship with with all these languages I want to say that I love I love German language it's it's a beautiful and very rich language and I'm having now a very nice relationship to it there's no more pressure there's no more you know I arrived to a peaceful relationship to it Thank you. 
German language for me, and you're probably gonna laugh, but it's the sound of Formula One on Sunday. My family also has a part of their history in Germany. So my father was in Germany for, I don't remember how long, but they, they were in, in Stuttgart for quite a long time. So my father always, when I was a kid in Brussels, he would always watch TV in German. So I remember always the, the news, but especially on Sunday, that's the Formula One. He would watch Formula One on German TV. So for me, German is does that sound like <laughs> and then some German commentator talking. That's that's for me a bit German of in my mind. I've never heard about this, so it's a new interpretation of well for me it's it's, it's German. It's because of my what how I heard it in my childhood or in mm -hmm. sports. But most of the time he would watch uh, Formula One. Sometimes also uh, football. And he would also watch this German guy with the, the blonde hair. He would wear Santiago's all the time. I always, always, always forget his name. But anyway, I, have no I, also, idea. I also see that guy. From the 80s or something. 80s, yeah, exactly, 80s. And here is Ihr Gastgeber, Thomas Gottschalk. Okay. That's him, Thomas Gottschalk. I have no idea. But maybe That's somebody who listened to us knows. I'm, I'm knows sure about. people who know about German culture, German popular culture and television yeah. of those days uh, will probably know Thomas yeah. Gottschalk. I have no idea what kind of things he does, but or if he still works now. But in my mind, I see him, you know, if, if you ask me to draw a German, I probably would draw a Formula One car with him next to it and my father on the couch. <laughs> sie rockt, sie singt, sie tanzt. For me, popular culture has such an important place in this. Movies, music, books, yes. radio, all these things. Like, so, mm -hmm. so important. That's how I learned English. Uh, I learned English through television. My mom mm -hmm. used to watch when we were in Brussels, when we first arrived. So my mom started learning French when she came to, to Belgium. She never stepped foot outside of Turkey before she was in Belgium. So she had to learn a new language. She knew some English, so she would watch Flemish and Dutch television because they don't dub their films. There's subtitles. I wanted to say this. Exactly. Yeah. It's so that, the way I grew up as well, yeah. with subtitles, and yeah. it's a huge difference. It's a huge difference because, you know, French TV, everything is dubbed. So she, she wouldn't watch French TV because her French wasn't enough yet. So she mm -hmm. would watch these films and these TV series in English with Dutch subtitles. So what I would do, I would learn Dutch in school because in Brussels... You do learn Flemish or Dutch in, when you're in school mm -hmm. uh, because Belgium is a bilingual, I mean, you will say trilingual country if you count German as well, but mostly it's a bi bilingual society. There are official, the official languages are Dutch, French, and German. And in Brussels, it's French and Dutch uh, or Flemish. So many people think it's, these are different languages, but they are not different languages. Of course, there are differences. Just like there are differences between the French from France and French from Belgium. Yeah. There are differences between the Dutch from Belgium, Dutch from the Netherlands. The accent is different. Lots of expressions are different. But the language is the same. So the language I learned in Brussels, I can speak it today in Amsterdam. 
I speak it with an accent. People understand immediately I come from Belgium, which is okay. I love accents. But what I was saying, so learning through popular culture and yeah. television. So my mom would watch these films and the Dutch I would learn in school. So I would read the subtitles and I would connect to the English I'm hearing. And yeah. that's how I started learning and make connections between the mm. different languages. And I think that's a fascinating way of learning. And when I would love a, a song, for instance, I would try to translate it. So this is always, this curiosity was always in me. And I use popular culture a lot. Talking about language and identity, there's always this fear of losing the language mm. so whoever comes needs to speak the same kind of language yeah. and no variations or nuances are not allowed in certain parts mm. of Europe so I came across this uh, wonderful project um, founded by a young Romanian writer his name is Ovidiu Pop and it's it's a collective a literary collective that he found uh, together with uh, uh, three four more people and they are trying to explore this relationship between language and literature and how a relaxed understanding of the language transforms literary conventions you know and for me this was music for for my ears when i when i heard that because these people who try to to write literature in German language, which is not their native language, uh, they are doing it from a position of a, of a more relaxed position, so to say, although they are not 100% socialized with, with German language. I've been recommended a very interesting book by a Hungarian writer, Agota Christoph, who wrote in French and who wrote in a French born, created out of her own exile. Mm. And the book is called Le Grand Cahier. I like very much this idea of people trying to speak more relaxedly languages and also this idea of aspect of, of locals being more tolerant towards newcomers who are trying to learn their languages and instead of putting pressure, giving more support and, and more understanding towards this process of learning. And as, as you say, do, do we have to speak a language or is it possible to, to, to arrive to that level where we speak a language 100% uh, perfectly or what is it more important you know I think languages they are also by default moving fluctuating it's a flux you know this is also related to the fact that we associate identity with languages and sometimes we are afraid that if we don't keep our language in the norms and in the rules of I don't know centuries ago then we are going to lose our identity and I think this this doesn't apply anymore nowadays when we are a lot in the move we need to allow sounds and words and new words in this two ways communication even if you are fixed in a place be aware of the languages that are around you and maybe even try to also learn few words or why not a new language of a newcomer? And you talked about literature, writing literature. Yeah. You know, once somebody told me in Belgium, and I was like, 
a shock to me. I, I started writing short stories long time ago, and I gave them for feedback. I, it was the biggest mistake. Biggest mistake I make. Uh, give it to a, a colleague who I trusted uh, for feedback. And you know what she told me in the middle? We were having dinner with lots of friends, and yeah, your, your short stories. I read them. They're nice, but one can hear that French is not your mother tongue. And one shouldn't write literature, you know, literature with a big L. Yes. When it's not in your mother tongue. Yes. So that, of course, I was what? I was 24 years old or something. Mm -hmm. And it crushes you, really. And I told yeah. this already, a similar thing in our first episode, because yeah. this, this keep, kept happening, you know, about mm -hmm. language. You're not mastering the language. It's not your mother tongue. You're not. That's why I, I don't like this idea of a mother tongue. What does that mean? For people who have several languages, it doesn't mean anything anymore to have a mother tongue. My mother's tongue is, is Turkish, yeah, but my father's tongue is Turkish and German. My tongues are English, French, Spanish, Turkish, Dutch, and I can add a few more maybe in the coming years. I don't care about the mother tongue. I care about what can I do with the languages I have in my toolbox. Exactly. And today, I also write, I, I just started writing poetry in English. Wonderful. Yeah. And it's the first time in my life I say, okay, I'm, I'm going to call this poetry because, you know, I work hard at this. I put all my heart into this. I feel naked and vulnerable when I read uh -huh. it. So, that, yes. That's I am powerful. Gonna put the name, I'm going to put that. Yes, it is poetry, people. Yeah. <laughs> it is. And you don't have to like it, but I'm doing it. So, you know, you know, I was thinking about you when I discovered this, this project and when I met Ovidio and I hope one day he will uh, accept to, to, to have a discussion with him uh, as, a, as one of the episodes of the podcast at some point. He doesn't one of know our guests. One of our guests. <laughs> one yes. of our guests. He because doesn't we know yet. But... Guests. <laughs> yes. At one point we will. <laughs> we will also include guests. You will have We're... enough of us. When we will be a bit more pro about this podcasting, we will start inviting us. Exactly, but I, it's, 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 uh, I, I was thinking about you and about this example that if you don't speak a native language, you are not allowed to write in that language. And this is what he's exploring. And I know when I talked to him, he was telling me that he doesn't know where this will lead to and how it is, but he really wants to, to, to try it out. And there are a lot of people who feel this need to, to, to be creative and write in, in, in another language that they don't necessarily even speak 100%. But the, the result is like also this result of uh, the, the, the example of Agota Kristov. It could be a, a, a wonderful uh, literature coming out of it, you know, coming out of certain experience of migration, of exile in her case and so of on. Course. Languages move, you know, it's process. You know, it changes through history, <laughs> words change, expressions change. New words come in and all this history, you know, the history of migration, of course, it's going to impact on languages and the way we speak French and English and German and Dutch. And that's beautiful. Yes. That's what makes it beautiful because it reflects this change. It reflects that mixity and these different cultures and it makes us all richer. It also reflects the society that we are living, the diversity of the society that of we are course. living in. When you have writers including languages from 
you know, words from different languages they come from. It just makes beautiful literature. I, I just love it. And when I write, I'm sorry, but I do think in Turkish as well. I write in French. I have some Turkish yeah. popping in and I want yeah. to add a Turkish word because that's the way I speak. That's the way I mm -hmm. think. This is my process. This is how I am creative. So I am sharing this with you. If it bothers you to see a Turkish word in my text, you don't read it. That's it. So I, I'm not going to change the way I think and write just to make people feel comfortable. And most of the time, the people who are uncomfortable are monolingual people. It's what I was saying. I think it comes from this, uh, this fear in a way that uh, we yeah. don't want uh, fear of change, fear of, of losing a certain identity, which is linked to, to language. But I totally relate to what you say. I have the same experience of different languages mixing in my head and, and in a conversation. It's not an unusual that I would start in a language and finish in another. And it, it, it depends very much each day which language has the most focus in my head you know sometimes I, I also don't know Last year, I participated at a meeting at the municipality of, of Amsterdam, and I met a wonderful lady called Nesrin El Ayadi. She was a PhD candidate at, at that time, uh, conducting a research on multilingualism uh, in the city and the way in which people assess this throughout public spaces. And uh, she invited me to uh, a sound walk, the main method she deployed for her research. And she told me that I could uh, bring someone along. And when I read her email, I was like, Janan, of course, <laughs> I have to bring her along. We did this sound walk together, the three of us in Amsterdam in February, I think, in the, in yes. the beginning of this year. And we just discussed linguistic and ethnic diversity in the, in the city of Amsterdam. And one of the things that we did, I remember each of us had to uh, go for five minutes on a particular street and be very aware and observe the languages that we hear and if we can recognize the languages. And I, I just loved that discussion and that uh, that exercise and everything we, we did. And afterwards, we continued uh, with, with our discussions. And after we uh, met Nesrin and we, we finished uh, our sound walk, you and I Janan continued to, to walk in Amsterdam and continued the, the discussion about languages. And at some point you stopped in the middle of the sidewalk and turned to me and you said, oh, we should make a podcast. <laughs> and I was like, yes, I had this in my mind too. But somehow you just expressed it. You, you let it out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this was also the beginning of, of our, of our uh, podcast story. I know that you have a wonderful project related to the exploration of languages in, in urban spaces and in public spaces. And please, please, please tell us more about it. That, that was a great walk, by the way. And Nesrin, she was great. I really love the way she explores this. And actually what I do is very complimentary. She, she, she looks at sounds, you know, she listens to the languages in the, in the city. My work is more visual. A friend of mine once told me I look at the traces people leave on the architecture. I thought that was so beautiful the way she, she said this. And it's really what I think it's really what I do. That it's really the traces we all leave in different languages across the cities where we, where we live in. I started documenting 
all these different languages in different places. Wherever I, I, I go, I would document like, oh, this is in another language. And I look at languages that are not the majority language of a city because I don't use the word official because not every city, every country has official languages. Of course, this can be questioned, this methodology. I started like that. Like, for instance, I started a project in Denmark, in Copenhagen. Mm -hmm. where I was invited for a residency by the University of Copenhagen to start this project. And a huge thank you to them again here, because it's thanks to them that I really started developing my methodology around this project, which I call City in Translation. It's a wonderful name, by the way. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and it's amazing how, how many things actually it grows. It's a process, like we talked in the beginning, languages learning languages, speaking languages, creating in languages. This is all a process. And city in translation is one huge process. It's my daily practice. It's an artistic mm -hmm. practice. It's the way I look at languages in, the, in the cities, when I walk, when I, you know, I'm very, I observe always. I, and I'm a flaneuse as well. So yeah. I, <laughs> I like that. Wherever I go, I do this. And I, I always look at languages, why people write certain things on the wall. But mm -hmm. it, it is not only graffitis. It can also be the name of shops. It can be like uh, paper we throw uh, in mm -hmm. the street. It can be stickers on uh, lampposts. Uh, any, any, any piece of writing, I yeah. see. The name of a restaurant or a bar. Like yesterday, uh, I was in Belgium and I saw a, a cafe bar near the station called The Godfather. Oh, so wow. I was like, oh, wow, this must be a very interesting place. <laughs> if they call it The Godfather, right near the station. And it's nice because it's, the way I, I approach this mm -hmm. is that I try to be creative with what I see. And yeah. depending on all our experiences, depending on our different knowledge of languages, the experiences mm -hmm. we had, we will see something different. And this is what I like. And my Turkishness came back again in, in this project in a very nice way because I realized that I was seeing Turkish everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I did a project, an exhibition uh, yeah. about this mm -hmm. called Yearning for Turkish. I see Turkish everywhere. Sometimes it's really Turkish. Sometimes it's not. I'm going to give you an example. I was in Wales uh, yeah. was two years ago. We were on a bus at night going from London to Aberystwyth for mm -hmm. a literature project. And it was getting very late. We were in a forest in Wales and there were no lights except for the bus uh, lights. Okay, And I was sitting in front. So imagine the forest, we go, oh, it's late, I'm tired, I'm a bit nauseous. And then I see on the, you know, on the road written, slow very big slow and araf araf means slow in welsh because we're yeah. in wales everything is in two languages welsh mm -hmm. and english but of course araf means something else in turkish so you imagine me all nauseous looking at this okay slow araf slow araf under the the lights of the bus araf <gasps> means purgatory in turkish <gasps> oh god so i'm like where what? am i what is this <laughs> So in my mind, this is how I experienced the first time I saw the word Araf mm -hmm. written in the middle of a forest on the road, being nauseous in a bus. So that's how I experienced it. Of course, the, the colleague next to me doesn't know Turkish, so she, she experienced it maybe completely differently and maybe not. She didn't even see it. She didn't know what you were going through. <laughs> No, but so what I do with City in Translation, I, I play with this and I yeah. start writing. So it's also a writing exercise. It's a creative exercise. I also know that you are doing workshops with people. 
uh, right? And I'm interested in hearing how people experience these uh, explorations of, of the city uh, through languages? Well, it's, it's really great because I, I, I've done lots of workshops with young people, with adults. For me, it's, it's a bit surprising that people usually don't look at cities this way. Yeah. And they would thank me in the end, like say, oh, now I'm going to look at it differently. Mm -hmm. For me, it's so natural to look at cities yeah. this way. I'm always like, oh, okay. So I'm very happy that people are curious. So this is one of the things I learned is that people are usually very curious about mm -hmm. different languages in their cities and the different cultures around them. So once mm -hmm. you give them the tools to play with it, yeah. they, open, they open their eyes and they open their There's minds. There's the aha moment. Yeah, they're like, oh, wow, ah, actually my neighborhood, we have this, 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 this language. This means that I can learn so much from all these people, all these shops, or I have so many interactions. And it's really great to see how creative people are. Mm -hmm. And that I love because what I do in my workshop, so we, we meet in a, in a specific place and I tell them, okay, you have now half an hour to go around, capture some images of uh, languages you see. Mm -hmm. Any language that is not your primary language, let's say, or languages you find interesting and you can tell a, a story around the, this specific thing you see. And then we come back and we have like a two-hour workshop. Thing. It's a writing workshop. Mm -hmm. And that's where you see that, again, we all come with our different backgrounds, our different experiences, yeah. our different levels of knowledge about different languages. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't always recognize the languages. And they say it. They say, I, I'm not sure which language it is. I recognize the alphabet, etc. And then they invent a story about that from their own imagination. Oh, wow. So I can also push people to be more creative. And I tell them, there is no right or wrong. Mm -hmm. It's, it's just about thinking. It's about process. And I usually don't care about what comes out in the end. Whenever I start my workshops, I say, this is not about a good story. You're going to, you know, you can't write just a perfect story in yeah. one hour. You know, it's, I'm not going to ask you that. I just want you to go through the process of thinking about this. Yeah. What does it mean to you? And your emotions, put emotions in there. Put And be aware. Yeah. yeah. This is all I care about. And if you don't feel creative, just document. You, you just yeah. document it. I took this picture in this street. This is not right. Just document it. Yeah. That's also fine. And just explain to me why this particular language. And did you know this language before or not? Mm -hmm. Let's have a conversation about it. Yeah. Wonderful. I, I'm in love with it. Although <laughs> I have never been to one of the workshops. I have to one day. <laughs> Yes, follow, you have follow, to. Follow you somewhere where you are going to have your, your workshop somewhere in Europe. Um, yes. But you yeah. can participate online, you know? Uh, that's what I, I actually, I, I'm hey, doing do that. Already. Yeah, I exactly. I, I was I doing know. that already in, uh, on, on Instagram a lot I of know. times. Yeah. So if you see a language around you, you want to share, just post on Instagram, mm -hmm. on Facebook, wherever you are online, and use the hashtag CT in Translation. And you'll see, you'll be surprised to see that how other people feel about this. So, yeah, uh, this is an invitation, dear friends. Otagai wo likai surukoto wa taisetsu desu. Kore wa shinkoku na mondai dakara desu. I, 
I want to talk about a film I've seen at uh, ITFA. Please, please do, yes. So, yeah, it's an international documentary film festival of Amsterdam. It took place uh, last week, so from 15 to 26 November. And I had the chance to see a film called um, Dreaming Murakami <gasps> by uh, Nitesh Anjan, Danish filmmaker and writer mm-hmm. with Indian descent. I loved what he did because he brought this understanding of, of translation to another level. So the story of the film, so it's a documentary film that follows uh, Meta Holm, who is a literary translator from um, Japanese to Danish, and she translates uh, Haruki Murakami. And in this film, we follow her while she translates uh, Murakami's first novel. What uh, Anjan does here, he really enters into the mind, the process of a literary translator. But he does that in such a beautiful way because on the one hand, you have the literary translator who already has a certain understanding of Haruki Murakami's work. So you see it a bit through her eyes as well. Mm -hmm. But then you have, you can, you see it as well through Nitesh Anjan's uh, perspective as a filmmaker, but also a writer Mm -hmm. himself, the way he interprets and and translates into cinematographic form, how he understands the stories of uh, Haruki Murakami. Mm -hmm. And here he bases himself on the super frog saves Tokyo, one of the stories in After the Quake. And it's really great because it shows you how far you can go with this understanding of translation, going from one language to another, and how you can be imaginative about all this. And the Mm -hmm. message for me of this beautiful film was that imagination knows no limits. Our understanding of a work of art, of a piece of literature, it's very subjective, and the way we're going to translate it is subjective. Of course, Meta Holmes' translations are her translations. It's going to be different from other people's translations. And the way Nitesh Anjan sees Murakami's mm-hmm. work is his own subjective interpretation. Yeah. And it makes everything more beautiful because yeah. it adds to our different understanding of mm-hmm. what translation means, what literature means, what can you do with film, mm-hmm. and the importance of, uh, of languages, of different languages to, to connect between cultures through mm-hmm. art. And that's what I found absolutely magnificent. And that's why I wanted to end uh, our conversation with mm-hmm. this, because I really, my, my main message is also, you can be as creative as you like. And imagination knows no limits. Totally agree. In this case, Murakami, by default, imagination knows no limits. And I suppose the translation follows the same route. Yes. (laughs) Uh, I love Murakami. I would have loved to see this movie, but I will try to see it somewhere else. I don't know. uh, I hope it will travel everywhere. Cinema programmers, if you listen to this, program this film, please. And let's have discussions around literary translation. Invite the translator, invite the filmmaker. Let's have conversation about this because it's beautiful. Yay! All our love to languages. I think there are so many aspects and layers related to this topic uh, that we are discussing today. And of course, what we were talking today um, is our own perspective and um, observations towards the relationship we have with languages when we are on the move or 
fixed to a place. So for sure, um, there are there are out there other perspectives. And if you would like to add anything or have an idea about the topic today, please do uh, write us. You can find us on Facebook at Not Loud Enough Podcast on Twitter at NLE Podcast on SoundCloud Not Loud Enough Podcast. You can also email us not loud enough podcast at gmail.com thank you very much for listening and remember we can never be loud enough about issues we care about a little tiger he abandoned us he's now far away uh, yeah if you just chase not chase him but but uh, uh, you see it's a german war coming now it's schimpfen <laughs> <laughs> like when you mm, 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 mm. yeah I've pushed him away so many times now he he decided he will remain far yeah.